Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Below the Fold Half Show, where some of the best content is published on Thursday. I am Jacob Perry. In my half shows, I will attempt to give you a small glimpse into the world of digital marketing agency life. There's a digital marketer named Patrick Nofton. I think that's how he pronounced his name. He said this about agency life. If you think life is a continuous learning experience, then consider working in a digital marketing agency as a microcosm of this experience. Flux, evolution, and transformation are a constant theme, close quote. Now, is this the case everywhere? Over the next several months, I'm going to be traveling around the country, meeting with digital marketing agencies to try and find out. This is the Half Show Agency Highlight Edition. Now pack your bags, because in this episode, we're going to Denver. Welcome to Denver, where 300 days of sunshine, a thriving cultural scene, diverse neighborhoods, and a natural beauty combine for the world's most spectacular playground. With a walkable downtown and the Rocky Mountains as a backdrop, Denver is an outdoor city bursting with urban adventure. Today's agency highlight, Elevated Third. Although in the heart of downtown Denver, their office space, which is very urban and loft-like, is very quiet. When inside, you quickly leave the bustle of the city behind you. To see pictures, just check out their website at elevatedthird.com. How was that for an introduction? Just listening to it made me want to go back to Denver. So let's just jump right in. A few weeks ago, I was in Denver, and while I was there, I had the opportunity to sit down with three guys from Elevated Third, and I'll introduce them a little bit later. But before I do, I want to explain the name Elevated Third. This was one of the number one things that I had to ask and wanted to know. But Jeff Calderoni, who's the CEO, and you'll hear from him in a little bit, he explained it or... um, He described it as kind of the Eureka effect, also known as the aha moment or Eureka moment. It refers to the common human experience of suddenly understanding a previously incomprehensible problem or concept. He said that the idea is an art criticism. Uh, He has a friend that was a painter, and the painter explained when you have good art or when you have that aha moment, the audience and the medium create an elevated third thing. Uh, I thought that was so interesting. He does go into kind of a a story about, uh, because that wasn't the original name of his company. And a little bit later, I'll I'll throw in the clip uh, where he shares the story of what the company used to be called. But uh, but that's Elevated Third. Now, with these specific agency highlights, I'm going to be interviewing um, different agencies and different folks from different departments and roles. And really, my main goal is to give the listeners an idea of what it's like to work at an agency. So I think the best place to start is with the culture. And we did talk a little bit about the culture of Elevated Third, and here's what they said. Yeah, I mean, before I came to Elevated Third, I had some experience at both, you know, large 500-person agencies and a small 12-person agency. That's Harrison Liss. He is the director of business development. If I were to describe what he looks like, I would say he's a mix between Don Draper and John Hamm. Uh, basically, he looks just like him. Well, throw in a little Zachary Quinto and it's spot on. And I think the one thing that everyone loves to talk about is sort of this idea of the, the open door, that you can go to anyone at any time and get what you need. But it, it feels it feels to me like sort of a, like a catchphrase or a buzzword, and it never was really executed um, to, to a great degree that, that my previous experiences. And so when I came here, the fact that 
no one has an office with a door that could be closed. And the fact that everyone sits in a large open space, I think really is at the core of everything that we do. So the fact that we're a full service agency and we can do the user experience, design, development, that's all in-house. And that, you know, if Nick and his team of developers have a question for our, our designer, it's not, you know, having to call someone or schedule time or, or you know, go through this, this arduous process of trying to get in front of someone, but you can just walk, you know, 200 feet to someone's desk and ask them a question. So I think everything that we do is sort of built upon this idea of, you know, constant communication and collaboration to make sure that, uh, you know, details aren't lost in the process and that everyone's on the same page. I think I'd add to that too, that uh, what makes that so useful is we have a really interesting set of backgrounds. That is Nick Schweitzer. He's the development director at Elevated Third, but in more elite and exclusive circles, he's a certified grandmaster developer, at least in Acquia's eyes. Ask him about it sometime. That, you know, everybody sort of comes together to produce great digital marketing, but you've got people coming from, you know, journalism and, and uh, landscape architecture and, you know, literature degrees that just have these really neat perspectives that, you know, you can apply to these problems in ways that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate to, you know, do really great work. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. I I was going to ask, so you guys are, are you guys the heads of teams? Yeah. My team is just me and Nelson, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So is it kind of, is it kind of built like your teams are siloed or how do the teams work together and what, I mean, what does that look like? So, so have you, have you walked around and I don't know if you did. Yeah, they gave me a little tour. Yeah, so, so usually what you'll see is just groups that have sort of formed. That's Jeff Calderoni. He's the CEO of Elevated Third. Now, when I usually think of CEOs, the stereotypical characteristics come to mind. Egotistical, lacking empathy, power hungry, etc. Jeff is none of those things. He seems like the kind of CEO that hires good people and lets them kind of just do their thing. In other words, he seems to know what he's doing. And so you'll see people at the whiteboard, developer and an account manager and a designer sort of talking about a project, but maybe grabbing somebody in to, to communicate. So I think everyone has their own role and definitely like the developers count on each other to, to help each other. But really each project is kind of different groups or different um, skill sets kind of blended together. And that happens all day, every day, which I think is the most fun is to be part of that and to be able to sort of drop in and out of that, but even just walking around and seeing that and seeing how the work is getting accomplished organically without, you know, I don't know, meeting time set up and formatted, like things just get done. So Jeff is the head honcho of, of, of the shop here. Mm-hmm. What is your role and your responsibility? How do you make sure that your employees stay happy and that your t- turnover is super low uh, and that, that people work together and, and love their job? Um, I think, or do you? I try. I really try. Um, I'm not sure if there if if I know the secret sauce. I think what I try to do is is create an environment that people like and that appreciate. And, and as Harrison said, like we try not to run people into the ground, and we try to staff accordingly and take on projects that aren't toxic. And um, just recognizing that that you know we're in a service business and. Um, clients can take a toll on us, and so recognizing that all of that needs to blend, and you know, we're we're definitely willing to to fire clients if they're not the right fit or if they're really bringing everyone down. But also, we're not going to do that until we've all together decided like we've really given it the hardest. The, the, we've tried as hard as we can, and it's just not going to work. And so, trying to make it a long you know a long term thing, making decisions. 
about the clients we take on and the people we hire that we hope they're here for five, ten years. And even if they're not, we hope that their time here was really beneficial and we've taught them something and they, they've gained something. And if they find a better opportunity, then good, you know, congratulations and, and we'll see you next time. We, we do a lot of internal discussion, you know, at least every week to really understand like who's working out as a client and why and what are the things that are not going so well and why what type of client of that is that what type of project so that you know it's not just I close a piece of business and hand it over to someone and I, and I have no idea what happens after that it's important for us to understand how do we identify the things that are going to make us most successful not just from you know a profitability standpoint but also uh, you know just a morale standpoint so uh, if, if we just said yes to everything and we went out and just tried to sell every piece of business we could close, we would have done more business last year, but it wouldn't have been business that was you know as beneficial for the company. So it's making sure that we have constant communication as a team and that there's not just this idea of just get it in the door because you know we want to just close as much as we can. It's about closing the right deals, not just as many deals. Yeah. And, and the other thing, just internal communication, like each of the managers meets with their direct reports every two weeks for 15 minutes. So to just go over, um, you know, what's working, what's not working, and have that constant communication so that nothing really can fester, nothing really bubbles up, and both the good and the bad. Like, this is great. I'd like you to do better here. But that's a two-week, you know, every two-week, 15-minute conversation, not something that comes up in your annual review that you didn't know about for six months. What fun things do you guys do here? Hearthstone. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Hearthstone. What's that? It's a really geeky card game that we play <laughs> at lunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have Hearthstone Club. There's uh, six of us now, I think. Are you recruiting? Yeah. Do you want to play? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I'll look that up. Yeah, we've got a we've got a ping pong table that sees a lot of activity every afternoon, as well as a foosball table. So, not an afternoon goes by that there's not at least a couple games that get played, you know, between ping pong and foosball. So again, it's just, it, it takes 15 minutes at most out of your day, but it's an opportunity for us to socialize, for us to have a little break from things. We do a lot of company happy hours. We have one this afternoon. Um, and we do also different events outside of work. So we'll go to Rocky's game or we'll, we'll walk across the street and go to the movies or just find other opportunities to share and social activities with one another. Um, we went to uh, a distillery and taste, did a tasting there, you know, all different kinds of things that just provide us with an opportunity to leave all the work stuff here and get outside the office and, and enjoy each other's company. Does that work? Like, does it help with morale? And I think so. Yeah? I, I think so. I, I, I hope it does. And it's, uh, and it's you know, it's not, it's not always sanctioned either. So, like, there's rock climbing club and, like, little groups that have sort of formed that... You know, I just like, oh, you, get, you know, six people, they go rock climbing twice a week. I didn't know that happened, but that's awesome that they feel good enough about their coworkers that they want to start sort of a new hobby together. That's, that's really cool to me. It, sound, it, sounds pretty, it sounds pretty cool. Are you guys hiring? Uh, we are. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. We, we need some help on the account team. Um, so, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll find you somebody. Yeah, <laughs> call me. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this next segment is called Three Questions. Uh, Unfortunately, I couldn't come up with something more creative than that, but I came up with three questions. Uh, These questions come up in multiple interviews that I'm going to be doing. They come from previous episodes uh, on Below the Fold. 
the three questions that I ask these guys are, one, uh, if you could only choose two digital marketing tactics, what would they be and why? Um, Then I ask them, uh, what do you think the biggest mistakes digital marketers are currently making? And then the last question is on uh, within the next 12 months, what are some of the digital marketing predictions that you would make? So coming back to that first question, if you could only pick two digital marketing tactics, what would they be and why? Here is what they came up with. I think the first, and I hope this this is sort of what you're after, but I think the first is is analytics is, is just absolutely critical. And I think that can take a lot of different forms. Uh, depending on what tool you want to use or what information you're after. But I think too often someone comes to us and says, we've been trying this thing and and we try to get to the bottom of, well, how do you know that it's not working or how is it working? And they have no idea. They just say, well, I threw this up. I made an investment, but they have no idea what the ROI is, how it's affecting their customers, who the potential user base is. All that information is just kind of floating around out there and they're not doing anything to collect it and understand it. So I think there has to be some tool in place to make sure that you are collecting the right data so that you can evaluate, was this a success? Did I get the, what I wanted out of this? Is it worth investing in, in the future? And just, you know, make sure you're on top of that piece. Um, and then so I, actually, before you go on, oh, yeah. I want to mention, because you say analytics, which is basically data, right? right. Data driven, uh, campaigns, which I, I believe, I believe one of the four of us had mentioned something about data. I'll have to go back, but I think I think analytics is a perfect example of, of, uh, of what I'm looking for. Yeah, okay, perfect. Um, I think the other piece uh, that's become just, you know, a little bit of a buzzword recently, but, it, but is really important is marketing automation. It's something I think I'm a little biased about because that's a big focus of our approach here, but making sure that... Uh, you have tools in place to eliminate a lot of the inefficiencies that a a lot of companies experience. So using different tools to make sure that you can target your customers in a way that's going to be effective, but also is in a a way that's going to be both both effective and efficient from, from a, from an effort standpoint. So if it's just one person running the campaign or if it's, if it's a team of people, you know, depending on the scale, there just has to be uh, a way to make sure that you can manage that process and that it's not going to be all manual. So your, your two are uh, analytics or data and marketing automation. I think those two are very connected. I don't know if that's, if that's no, okay. that's great. <laughs> but I think they're very tied to one another. So it's sort of a, a natural, you know. No, I think that's great. Progression. Yeah. No, Jeff, what do you got? I, I think I would, I would second the marketing automation and I would give it a little context to say, like, I, I was surprised when we started focusing on B2B how many very large companies were doing email marketing without marketing automation. And so I think you should just never do that. Um, email marketing, you obviously get your opens and, and, uh, and your click-throughs, but you're not, you're not maintaining a relationship with the customer over time. And if you just send your email through a marketing automation platform, you get so much more information, even if you just stop there. You're giving the salesperson, the marketer, so much more information about the online behavior over time that it just doesn't make any sense to do email without marketing automation. And then I would say, um, I don't know if it's a, it's, if it's a tactic, but kind of as, as you mentioned before, just the, uh, the end-to-end solution and paying attention to what activities at the top of the funnel result in sales through the CRM. And so building that virtuous loop and tracking the marketing activity that leads to closed business, I think is the holy grail. And 
nobody that I've seen is really doing it great. I think there are always little gaps, and I think that's where it's really fun for us to identify, well, is it a technology gap that's keeping people from creating that full-service or full-circle loop, or is it strategy? Do they not have the right tools? And so putting those things together and coordinating and building so that they can see what marketing activities is, are leading to close business with some some confidence, um, that's key. And it's just that it's that execution. So it's not necessarily a tactic, but it's having the discipline and execution to, to tie all of those things together and keep it going as an organization. So would it be fair to say that your two would be marketing automation and execution? Yeah. Okay. What about you, Nick? All right. So my, my first ties back into the marketing automation a little bit, a little more specific, but personalization. Um, that's kind of a hot topic around here for us. Um, which like I think it's it's sort of been a long time coming. It's kind of come from like the geo-targeted ads of like eight years ago to you know just providing useful content to users, which can you know show up in a lot of different contexts. Whether it's you know Amazon's suggested items that you buy or maybe recommended blog posts on a site, um, but you know the marketing automation platforms are getting you know sophisticated enough that you can collect that data about users, and you know our development team really a lot of development teams can tie into that information and then, you know, serve content based on that, which, you know, I think is is really interesting and, I mean, a lot less scary than Minority Report would have you think because, you know, it's just about making things useful for people. It's not about collecting scary amounts of data and selling it. It's about, you know, all in service of the user experience. Um, and then kind of connected to that is content strategy. Um, like, I, I think the number one problem, you know, just about every client probably runs into is like we've got these beautiful designs but oh my gosh they look totally different than our right sidebar left big column site you know and, and I think that becomes more prevalent in the last couple of years just because of the web design trends that are happening with sort of like more chunks of content on a page rather than kind of one you know big massive blob of content to you know use Karen McMaid's terminology um and, and I think having good, well-planned content, you know, it ties back into personalization when you have that really well-planned and organized. It makes it really easy to implement that. And I think it, it also just makes people more interested in engaging with your brand and, and, you know, ties back to search engine optimization when you start talking about natural link or search queries. And I think really just starts to bring everything together in a way that it makes it much more useful for users. Okay, so now I have a little twist. There was a fourth guy at Elevated Third that I ended up talking with. He wasn't available on the day that I was in Denver, so I had to catch up with him later via telephone, but I ended up asking him the same exact three questions. By the way, the music that you're hearing right now? Yeah, that's the same music you would hear if you were to call Elevated Third and be put on hold. Anyway, I got him on the phone, and here's how the conversation went. Hello? Hello, is this Judd? Yeah, this is. Judd, what's up, man? This is Jacob. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, hey, thanks for taking the time. Sure. So this is Judd Mercer. He's the creative director at Elevated Third. He's the type of guy that you can tell really found the job he's passionate about, and it matches the things that he likes to do when he's not working. Although, who doesn't like to doodle? So question number one, if you could only pick two digital marketing tactics, what would they be and why? Uh, that's a 
really good question. I thought about it for a while. <laughs> I don't have a great answer. But um, if I had to pick, I think I would always start with um, paid search, for one, um, because it's so clearly intent-based, and you can start very, very small and grow it from there. So um, the startups and things like that, it's, it's almost like a research tool. Um, so that when you're rolling out a new idea, you can almost test the waters very incrementally with search intent and know exactly where your dollars are going. So I think that's why I like um, search, paid search. Um, the other side, which might be the extreme example on the other end of the spectrum, is video. Um, I think I'm not, I'm not particularly a huge fan of um, kind of static display. I think it's kind of in between, and um, I'm, I'm I'm unsure that the interruptive model is going to last. Um, I'm, I might be an outlier there, but what I like about video is the story storytelling part. So if you can combine search intent or retargeting or something like that with video for the storytelling, I think that's really the the power of those two mediums combined. Um, it's kind of like if a TV commercial had all the personalization of a search term or something like that with it, and you could get that emotional capture at the same time, I think that might be some kind of programmatic holy grail. Um, but they, I mean, they definitely work in tandem, but if I had to pick two, I'd probably pick those two. Now, back to the original three, we moved on to question number two. What do you think the biggest mistakes that digital marketers are currently making? Here's how they responded. Yeah, I'm, are you guys ready? I've got, I think I've got mine. Uh, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of times when we start an engagement with a partner, it's because there's been turnover at the company, there's, there's a new person in a new position who's looking to make a splash. And I think a lot of times people get a little bit ahead of themselves with wanting to do some of the flashier things that exist in digital marketing now, whether that's, you know, specific content marketing or personalization or, or, you know, whatever that, that actual tactic may be, I think they say, well, I'm hearing about personalization, so I have to do it, but they don't really understand all that goes into that process and what the initial investment is up front. So they just jump into it, they spend the money, they hire a team to do it and it, and it's sitting on their site, but then they just wind up not using it. Uh, a lot of times when we come in and we start doing an audit of the technologies that someone's using, they've got Salesforce, they've got, you know, Pardot or Marketo or all these other things. And it's just kind of sitting there dormant because they just didn't figure out who's, you know, who should be in charge of all this? What does that process look like? How do we build that into, you know, our approach, that kind of thing. So I think the biggest mistake is that people get ahead of themselves, they hear about a new technology, they go out, they spend all this money, and then they don't utilize it to its, to its full capacity. I think that's a great one. Jeff? Uh, yeah, I would. I was going to say that. But I say that <laughs> Sorry. No, I, think, I think along those lines, I think sometimes the marketing team doesn't recognize how much they need the information team and, and the other components of the organization because marketing is not in a silo and they need to understand technology. They need those people on board um, to help them make decisions and to champion the, the technology spends. And so I think along with you know chasing the shiny object and, and not uh, necessarily executing is the internal culture that it's like we're as a culture we're changing the way that we sell we're changing the way our IT team works in order to really focus on driving leads and that's 
the part that gets neglected. The shiny object and the technology spend and the cool campaign is fun for everybody, but how do you bring the rest of the organization along um, with the strategy, make them feel vested, and really use them to, to drive those leads as well? Because it's, it's a whole company effort it needs to be, and sometimes marketers see it as just a marketing effort. Great. Nick? Um, I think mine gets back to content strategy. Um, I, th- I think a lot of people just don't sort of give content the attention it deserves, and especially now sort of in the age of you know personalized content and natural language search and a lot of those things I mentioned. <clears throat> that you know when you're a specialized like B2B company, for instance, you have sort of very industry-specific like expert-driven content, and I think it's sort of about giving that content the attention it deserves and, you know, maybe hiring a little more seasoned copywriter rather than just kind of being like, oh, well, the intern can handle it. Like, they'll, they'll type up five paragraphs, it'll be fine. Because um, I think really giving that content the attention it deserves really allows you to in, engage with people on that level where, you know, maybe you do become an industry thought leader or maybe you are just, like, producing, like, better, more succinct content that better communicates what you're trying to. Okay, so remember, Judd, yeah, I've got him on hold right here, but uh, he's ready to answer that question as well. Just one sec. Let me grab him. So question number two, what is the biggest mistake you think digital marketers are currently making in the industry? Um, hmm. Biggest mistake. Uh, I think We're it's making a lot, a lot of mistakes. So yeah, uh, there are, never, there are yeah. plenty to choose from. Uh, honestly, I think, um, I think there is a lot of, there's a lot of tactics and strategy and all this stuff. Um, but it, it seems like a lot of times that the actual message becomes lost. Um, like the actual words on a page, like eventually it all boils down to seven words or a paragraph or, you know, whatever you read on a landing page. And so I think all these, this complex content strategy and how are we going to get it into these different channels and get it into people's face and when do we do this and when do we do that? Um, and not focusing on just answering simple questions, uh, communicating clearly and just almost kind of taking a step backwards um, in terms of articulating the message a little bit better and then the tactics become a little bit simpler. The call cut off right there, so I didn't get the last part of his question. So we'll just move on to question number three. And if you'll remember, question number three was digital marketing predictions within the next 12 months or so. Here's what they said. Um, We've talked about it a lot, but I really think personalization is being taken to uh, another level uh, over the last few months, and that growth will continue in 2016. I think... There were not a lot of tools out there that had been built that really could execute personalization to a degree where it was truly useful and where it's worth the cost. And I think there's been just so much growth in that in that area recently. You know, price points have come down. People have played with it more and understand how better to utilize it. And people are going to start to really see the ROI on that. Um, you know, I think what people don't always think about is. If someone comes to your your homepage and you've got an anonymous profile, you know, based on that user's interaction, your previous interaction on your site, and you can serve them the specific content that they're after, I think conversions are just going to increase tremendously. Whether you're selling T-shirts or whether it's B two B and you're selling, you know, something that takes six months to a year to close a piece of business and it's a much larger price point, I think that optimization in that in that process and being able to really deliver targeted content. 
uh, is going to is going to change the way that people think about it and and really understand what that investment means and how that can affect their business. I think um, along those lines, you didn't really steal my answer. Okay. <laughs> um, but along those lines, just the idea of content syndication, and so it's it's been around for a while, but you know we're not going to be consuming the web in pages that are in context of a certain URL. We're going to consume content that's discrete, that comes from a certain source, but is going to be aggregated with something like Flipbook or um, you know something like Google that brings content together because of semantic markup. It knows what type of content it is. It can put together common pieces of content to create an experience from multiple different sources. And so as marketers, how do we market when we're not going to control the format of our content that gets communicated? We have to, like Nick said, focus on the quality of the content and making sure the message is in there, but also recognizing what are the things that we can sell or differentiate when we don't control the theme of the page or the layout of the page. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Google's obviously focused on that and, and being able to sort of pull apart content and put it back together. But as marketers, we have to understand how that works so that we can get our message across. That's a great one. I'm really glad you explained that side of it because mine is the technical side of that, um, which, you know, without really getting into the weeds, basically the idea of a decoupled front end and back end on a website, it's, it's really a big deal in the Drupal community with the most recent release of Drupal. But just the whole idea that you can take advantage of a really robust, robust content management system like Drupal on the back end, but it doesn't dictate what you're doing on the front end of your site and also you know, gives you just so many ways to distribute your content to different outlets, whether that's through you know, RSS feeds, APIs, however you wanna get that out. And, and I think like, you know, also where that's interesting, kind of getting back to, I think Harrison mentioned earlier, you know, the new CMO comes in and wants to make a splash, like maybe they've got a really great back end and just wanna spruce up the front end, you know, just tear down your theme and put a new one right on it and you've still got sort of your central content repository. So, you know, in the long term, I think that really translates to to dollars saved and more efficiency internally because you're sort of always dealing with the same system and just giving it a facelift when it's time to change it. Hey, Judd, you still there? Do you, uh, do you have any predictions you'd like to share? Uh, that is a good question. Um, I think... Um, so this year, eMarketer um, had the projection that display is actually going to overtake search for the first time ever. Mm. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more of um, kind of that video and search combination. I think I would make that prediction. It's a pretty soft one, but I think we're going to see more of that this year. Um, I'm not sure anyone's going to crack the the you know, 360 customer um, view quite yet. I think there's some some problems there to solve. Um, I'm going to go with everyone else, and obviously mobile is <laughs> going to continue. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have a, a big prediction. I think it's going to be... Um, I think a, it's going to be a little bit of... digital marketing year, huh? A normal year. I think there's going to be some... New strategies come out. Um, I'm honestly not a a social expert, but I I feel like it's becoming a little bit of, um, like Twitter seems to be losing a little bit of steam. Um, Some of these other channels, um, 
just, I mean, they've had a good amount of time to figure out how to monetize some of this stuff. And I, I just don't see it quite yet. Um, so it might be make or break time for some of those, uh, those channels. Um, like not necessarily the smaller ones, like um, Snapchat and, and that kind of thing. I think people are still experimenting with some of that stuff, but um, maybe it's Facebook specifically, kind of what moves they're going to make there. Like, is it really going to be like, especially in our case where it's more B2B, um, I'm not sure that's ever going to be a, a channel um, that's going to drive a ton of revenue. Um, but I think um, along those same lines, just seeing if LinkedIn's really going to become um, a, a, a more powerful channel on that side of things. Thank you, Judd. So while I was in Denver, uh, one of the segments that I thought I'd carry over from below the fold was last word. So I sat down with the guys and at the very end, I gave them 60 seconds or less uh, of uninterrupted time to say whatever they'd like. And here's what they came up with. Oh boy. Um, I mean, I I think what I've really noticed is the common thread with our discussion is just sort of, you know, content, content, content. And, and, you know, I mean, I think, you know, we really try to make this point a lot and it's something we've been coming to over the last few years, but the value of content is just astronomical. You know, I mean, it's, it's totally worth the investment. And, you know, I mean, I think on the technical side, it's about managing the content better on the marketing side. It's about writing better content. It's about distributing better content. And I think, you know, when you really take the time to focus on that, I think it'll absolutely pay back exponentially um, because you're, I think when you make it obvious that you really, you know, care and want to engage with users in a meaningful way rather than just sort of, you know, dumping a bunch of keywords hidden at the bottom of your page, I, I think that really comes through and, you know, I think that really converts into sales. So that's great. Jeff? I, I would say... Uh just to, to reiterate on discipline and execution. So um, campaigns are important, like we definitely see the value and I think we're good at compelling people emotionally, but that's not the end of the story. And so if we compel somebody with a campaign, but we don't follow up or we don't have systems in place to take advantage of that uh, emotion that we've created to, to generate leads or sales, then we failed. And I think marketers in general, um, I would say are not disciplined in that regard and they don't see their job as structurally setting the drumbeat of the message and in our case providing the technology and the the structure so that that message and that drumbeat happens over time and we can take advantage of it over time I think Um, you know again like the the shiny thing and then the campaign are really cool and they're really fun for us too but the follow-up is as important if not more important to, to really driving revenue that's great um, <clears throat> I guess I'm going to shift gears a little bit back to our earlier conversation about culture. Um, and it may seem insignificant on the outside, but something that we do here that I think really makes a huge difference is every Friday, uh, we, we kind of stop work for a few minutes and, and have a beer together. And I think, you know, that takes just a few minutes to do, but it really changes the way that we interact with one another. And is actually something that I think is really a, a, one of the, the pillars of sort of how we're able to come together. So, no matter what happened that week, we were talking earlier about you know wanting to have debate and discussion all the time. Whether you had a, you know a discussion with someone about a particular tactic, or whether you had a tough interaction with a client, or whether you've just been you know pushing through to finish up a project. If you stop every Friday at four thirty or five o'clock or whatever it is, and just take a deep breath and find an opportunity to interact with one another, with you know something that's totally not related to work, 
it's a great way to just decompress and make sure that you put your stamp on that week, that you walk out of the office, you know, with a smile on your face, uh, and that, you know, you're not just sort of feeling burned out and going home and commiserating over the weekend. It's about making sure that there's a solid close to the weekend that involves positivity uh, and allows us an opportunity to check in with one another and see what's going on in each other's lives and, and talk about something that's, you know, not related to anything else we talked about earlier that week. So I think it's a really great thing that we do. I think it's, it's really, uh, you know, whatever, whatever form that might take for someone else, you know, it, it can certainly vary, but I think it's just a great way for us to make sure that we have that opportunity to check in with one another and, and have that positivity. And last but not least, I got Judd to also participate in last word. So here's his 60 seconds. Uh, cool. So I'm a huge movie fan. Um, and I haven't seen Deadpool yet, but, um, I think it's really interesting how disruptive it is. So for anyone who doesn't know, it had the biggest R rating opening ever. Um, and it's set to topple, I think Passion of the Christ was the top R rated movie ever. Um, it's this little obscure comic book that was, um, kind of pushed into production by fandom. So I think it's a really interesting example of that people are okay and want something different um, and that they're willing to push to make it happen. So I'd like to see more of that, you know, more original ideas in everything and, and breaking away and, and more risk-taking, I think. Yeah, so, and that's just so a good example say, of that. Yeah, when, when you say uh, seeing people do more of that, are you talking about how they marketed the movie or the movie itself? I think just the idea, I mean, the marketing came from the movie, which is so different. And so I think just breaking out of that mold where it's like they took a different plant from summer blockbuster and all the marketing was super cheeky and very underground and um, a little bit risky. And But it came from the movie itself. But I think Meaning the, the it was takeaway, Deadpool himself who promoted the movie, not Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah, and it was the character, it was like the cheekiness, it was yeah. a little bit subversive in the way it was poking fun at everything else, um, which is the concept of the character, if there's any comic book fans out there. Um, but I think just in general, as it pertains to marketing, um, just a really unique idea, um, and it just represents, especially when you're talking about content marketing and things like that, like the movie itself is an R-rated comic book movie, and no one had done that before because no one think it, no one thought it would work. It's like, well, you got to make the Avengers PG-13, um, and you got to stick to this format because it'll make a billion dollars. And then something new comes in from out of the blue and um, disrupts all that and makes everyone go, oh, what's possible? Let's think about this. Maybe we should try something new. So I guess that's more my point there. So that's a wrap on our very first inaugural half-show agency highlight edition. Let us know what you think. You can reach out by emailing us at inbound at belowthefold.io. Alternatively, if you want to get in touch with Elevated Third, based out of Denver, Colorado, you can reach out on their website, which is found at elevatedthird.com. <laughs>